0: Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.church. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download apps. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Grace Life. How are you guys doing? It's so good to see you guys. A little crowded in here. I can't imagine what the parking lot looks like. I, I'm glad I wasn't out there. That's pretty good. But hey, glad to have you guys here, especially if you're a guest. Welcome. Good news is we are making room in the parking lot. We'll solve that problem soon. Uh, hey, real quickly, I want to talk about I, I'm glad you're here. But there is more than here, right? We've been talking about this. this. This is what we make out of church here in the Bible Belt sometimes. <clears throat> that was my throat, not the microphone. you were like, that was weird. That was weird. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, sometimes here in the Bible Belt, we, we, we turn church into an hour, of our lives. The truth is we are the church. Church is 24-7. There is so much more. And so first of all, for those of you that are are maybe new to Grace Life, never come to First Step, I want to encourage you right after the third service today to come. We've got free childcare, free food, and it'll help you discover if this is the church for you and if so, how to take it beyond this one hour on Sunday mornings, how to get more involved and get engaged. Second of all, those of you that already are knowing this is your church and or actually the truth is even for guests, we would love to invite you to our our life groups and uh, these are just getting started some of them started last week some of them are just starting this week the bottom line is we, we need to do life together Uh, When people try to do life on their own, they they tend to not do very well. And God created us to need other people and to have people who are praying for us and sharing life with us and knowing what we're struggling with, knowing what our victories are. So really want to encourage you, if you haven't found your life group yet, uh, just go online, go go to the app or or anything, and and they're all right there and jump in and and make some friends and uh, have some real relationships. Amen? You guys with me? Cool. Well, I'm really excited. I hope you are because we're kicking off a new series today and uh, this is a fun one for me. So I, I, I'm, I'm just excited for what we're going to do here over the next five weeks. It's a series called God Within and the whole series is based off of this verse out of uh, 1 Corinthians. It'll be on the screen for you right here. It says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And that is an incredibly loaded statement. If we were to say, well, what does that mean to us? Well, it would mean so many things that that's why we're going to do a five-part series, and we're probably just going to scratch the surface of it. But for me, this verse began to come to life when I went off to college. Uh, I grew up in a great church. I'm, I'm going to call it a great church. Because I have really good thoughts of my church. If you've uh, heard, ever heard me say I grew up Presbyterian Baptist, I had a Presbyterian dad, that's what we did Sunday mornings. Baptist mom, that's what we did Sunday nights. Uh, and so I guess I had two great churches. Uh, but anyway, the one I'm talking about it was my Sunday morning church, my Presbyterian uh, church that I went to. And, and I think it was a great church because they made a lot of God. And we really revered God. God was a big God. God was an awesome God. We worshiped God. And I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good thing if you can go through your childhood and walk away believing really great things about a really big God, right? The the only problem with it is that 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 really big, really great God that I had a great reverence for was very, very far away. And he didn't do much today. And, And that was the disconnect. So, when I was going off to college, my mom looked as I was packing the car and she says, Wear your church clothes. It's like, because that was one of those churches you had to wear church clothes to. Uh, y'all don't have to do that here It's Grace Life if you've kind of already noticed that. Matter of fact, Brian spoke over communion with a mohawk, which I know at least one of you started Googling is there a Bible verse about sacrilegious hair? from the priest there's gotta be a scripture about mohawks and communion shouldn't be allowed but it, actually it's allowed so so I, I decided I wasn't going to church I told my mom I'm, I'm not planning on going and of course that almost like destroyed her don't don't ever do that to your mama's boys just so you know uh, but here's the here's, I, I didn't have a problem with with God I, I was not losing my faith I was not intending to walk on the wild side or anything like that no I just was bored just to be honest the one hour on Sunday mornings that I had been experiencing for the 18 years of my life, I just thought I could better use doing something else because I was bored. And and so I, I wanted more. Well, the funny thing is... You ever just look back at your life and God does something like sovereign? He puts you in a place at a moment with another person and and everything just comes together. Uh, You should all be nodding your heads because that's how God operates. If you're not aware, you've missed those moments, but they've happened. And uh, so for me, it was being a music major and in the music building at Appalachian State University is where I found what I live out of today, which is crazy. I didn't find it in church but I found it in the music building. It turns out that there was this mini revival. That's the best words I can use, this mini revival amongst the music majors at, at this school. And so, you know, just beginning to walk down the hall and meet some people, and, and there were these Christians, and we'll call them weird, because they would walk up to you, and uh, if you didn't look like you were having a great day, they'd say, hey, are you okay? And uh, if you said, no, nah, I'm a little stressed, or I've got a headache, or I don't feel well, or anything like that, they would say, well, can I pray for you? It's like an 18-year-old having an 18-year-old conversation in a hallway at a music school. Like, that's just weird. Come on, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's that's not how you talk as college kids, right? Especially. And then when you say yes, because nobody says no. (laughs) Who's going to say no? No, I like my stress and my headaches. I wish you would leave me with my infirmities and go away. No, no one's going to say no. So we say yes. Yes. And, and you get ready to take a step because you assume that's the end of the conversation. And they reach out and touch someone, you know. what? <laughs> These people were weird because they prayed for healing and you got healed like your headache went away or whatever. They believed in miracles. They would pray for miracles. Here, here was a really weird one for me was that they would all sit around and be talking and say, you know, I was praying this morning and God said, God talk where I went to church God only talked maybe to the pastor and and only in that special room called a study. Anybody Your pastor had a study. It was a tiny little room filled with books just enough room for him to hunker in there and hear the voice of God I guess. Just so you know if you ever come visit me it's not a study. It's it's a chocolate depository where we we talk and we do hear from God and we eat chocolate and that's kind of how that went. But it was, it was where God began to make real for me the, the idea there is more. I wanted that. And the reason we're doing this series is because I absolutely believe you want that too. I think that you want more. Yes. Uh, I, I just think we, when we describe the Christian life, it is so honestly inadequate from what I see in scripture, from what I know God wants for us. Because if we were to boil it down, I really think this is how the Christian life would be described in, in three points. It starts with it, we believe. And because we believe, we go to church. And since we believe and we go to church, we behave. And that's really what it comes down to the whole Christian life. Matter of fact, if you were to invite one of your friends here this morning, they said, no, nah, I don't think church is for me. It's because they don't believe what you believe, they don't like a set of rules that tell them how to behave. And they've got something better to do with an hour of their life since they don't believe and don't want to behave. And, and we're somehow good with just, we believe, we behave, we go to church. And then we spend the other six days a week and 23 hours just with a kind of a long face sometimes and, and whatever. And, you know, I, I look at people in the world. I, I go to shopping malls or to restaurants and, and, and people just look like they're missing something. But the truth is, it's not just at shopping malls and at restaurants. I stand in the lobby as I'm watching people walk in, and I'm watching people walk out, and we look like we're missing something. We do. I'm not picking on us today, what I'm trying to do is to help us all come to the same realization that what you're you're saying, man, I just really wish there was more than we believe, we behave, we go to church, repeat next week, we believe, we behave, we go to church, repeat next week, you know that, if that's in you and you're saying, I really wish there were more, I want you to know God wants there to be more, God intended for there to be more, so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to our main passage today, is John chapter 16, and we're going to pick it up in verse 7, and this is where Jesus is speaking. And so Jesus says this really crazy statement that, I'll be honest, the first, oh, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 times that I came across Jesus saying this, I somehow thought he was halfway lying. Now, granted, Jesus doesn't lie, and we all know that, but it was like one of those statements where he was just trying to to say something to make us feel better. Just, just go ahead and read this. Here's what it says in verse 7. Uh, where He says, "Look, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. And, and when I read that, I think, he, he's kind of trying to make us feel better about a really bad situation. And, and I think it's like not really true. Come on. Anybody ever, your parents, when they spanked you? you got, okay, I grew up in the South, old school generation. Nobody called DSS on my parents here. Anyway, but... But they would say that thing that you just know wasn't true, and they were just trying to make the whole situation better, right? Come on, y'all know what? They said, This is gonna hurt me. First thing I know is my mama now lies. We just went to church, and we're supposed to behave, and you're not supposed to lie to me, because it is clearly gonna hurt me more than the one holding the paddle, because that's how sticks work when you use it. You know, I mean, seriously, baseballs get hurt more than the guy with the bat. That's, anyway, back to, and so I'm thinking Jesus is just trying to make something good of a bad situation, which is like, okay, I came, I was here, did some cool stuff, now I'm gonna go away. I realize y'all gonna be a little upset about it, so hey, uh, it'll be good. <laughs> it'll be better. Do you believe that yet? And, and the truth is, I didn't believe that. Matter of fact, when I was having this this spiritual revival or awakening or whatever you call it in my life when I was in college, I, I wanted more than anything else to see Jesus, and by that I mean to see Jesus. Come on, anybody ever actually prayed for that? Like, I want to see Jesus. Like, I like the come sit. Here we go. In, in, in theology class, it's called a theophany, where you have an appearance of God. I took this so far, y'all can laugh at me if you want, that, that in my, my apartment, I got a chair. And I got another chair. And I sat down. And I said, okay, Jesus. He didn't come. Just so you know. I was ready. I had my journal, I had questions, I had stuff I was ready to talk about. This was a real deal. I mean, I pre- and I didn't do this just once. Many times, I wanted to see Jesus. I'd heard stories of people that said that had happened to them. I wanted it to happen to me. Because we believe it's better when Jesus is there, right? I mean, think about, it. Jesus, it's to your advantage. How? When you, were, you walked on water, you raised dead people. Go tell Lazarus it's to your advantage that, that you're not around here. What? No, I don't think so. He's dead when you weren't around, just so you know. And then you show up, you call out his name, he's alive. He's pretty much going to disagree with the idea that it's better when you're not there, right? I mean, he raised people from the dead. He did miracles. He fed people by the thousands, and he didn't even have a kitchen. I mean, this is pretty intense. Like, this is, and you want us to believe that when you're not here, things are going to be better. It, what if I told you, like, next Sunday, next Sunday, Jesus... Is gonna be here. Y'all would fight. Y'all wouldn't be doing any of those coming in during the middle of the second song things that y'all do right now. I swear, every service, I look over my shoulder at the beginning and I think nobody came to hear me preach today. And by the time I get up here, I'm like, is there an empty seat? Like I don't even know why we practice the first song. We don't have to play right notes. Nobody's here to hear it. But anyway, if I, I'm sorry. That's not in my notes. I still love y'all. Anyway, if I told you Jesus was going to be here, you'd, you'd be here. And, and, you know, there's a story of a, a woman in the Bible that she was sick and she needed to be healed. And she knew if she could fight through the crowds, so she did fight through the crowds, believing if I can, if I can just touch his clothes. I will be healed. You guys would, would trample. You would, you would do whatever it took. You would sneak through the offices and come backstage. You would be like, if Jesus is here, I'm going to be there. I'm going to finally get what I've been waiting for. I'm going to get healed or I'm going to get touched. I'm going to get this answer to my question. I'm going to miss. Something's going to happen. I'm not going to miss if Jesus is going to be here. Because we really do believe it's to our advantage if he's here. But then, what if I told you? Because this happened in the Bible, by the way. Jesus likes kids. And so, next Sunday, we come in and say, Hey, y'all, you know, I told you Jesus was going to be here. Little misunderstanding, he's down the hall. (laughs) He's over there in G Kids, and y'all got me. (laughs) Come on, just go ahead and say it right now. You'd be disappointed. If Jesus is like 50 feet down the hall with the kids and you get me, how many of you are going to be like, I'm signing up for G-Kids team. Come on, somebody, how quick can you do a background check? I'm getting in that room, right? Because we don't believe it is to our advantage if he goes away. But what if Jesus could be everywhere at one time? Because, see, that was the whole problem. When Jesus was here, he wasn't there. If Jesus was in Ben's house, Well, then he wasn't in John's house. And if Jesus wanted to heal Ben, well, then he wasn't over there healing John. And that's why when you read the stories that people out in the streets, when Jesus was in a house, they were crowding through the windows and the doors and in some cases cutting holes in the roof just to get in because if he was in and you were out, you weren't with him. What if he could be everywhere at every moment? What if he could do any miracle, as many miracles, as he wanted at the same time? Turns out he can. Finish the verse. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, and I've added in here... The Holy Spirit, because that's who he's talking about. That's what the whole chapter is about. And since I'm just giving you one verse, I want to make sure that you understand that. And that's why there's a capital H. We didn't do that because we're here in the Bible Belt. Sometimes people think, you know, you capitalize God in the Bible Belt. No, no, no. the, The Bible did that. Because the helper is the person of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. He says, he will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Now, here's what's crazy. That's actually one of the primary things Jesus came to do. We don't think about that. We think about it as being some kind of after effect. We don't think about it as being one of the primary things Jesus came to do. But check this out. I'm just going to show this to you. This is at the beginning of almost every gospel. This is the beginning of Mark though. And it says, John, the, talking about John the Baptist, which was Jesus's older cousin by a little bit. And and he's out doing his own thing. He's a little bit of a rebel, you know, the Mohawk kind of thing. not really a Mohawk. He just like eats grasshoppers and and wears camel hair, and kind of what, he he was definitely a a, a cool dude, right, you know, and so he's been walking around preaching that if you repent, you, you can turn to God, and be baptized as a symbol that you've repented and turned to God, and so here's where we are, it says that John appeared baptizing in the wilderness, and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John, why would you say that? Why would you say something like, I've baptized you with water, but he's going to build his church. I've baptized you with water, but he's going to save you from your sins. I've baptized you with water. But he's going to die on the cross for you. I got wet for you. He's going to die for you. Why didn't you say that? Because that's the stuff he's going to do. He's going to build his church. He's going to save us from our sins. He's going to redeem us. He's going to do all this. He's going to die on the cross. He's going to be raised again. Why not say that? Why from the very beginning, before Jesus has ever done one thing, like, did you catch how he said, hey, look, one is coming after me. Everybody's like, who? You got a cousin? What's the name? Jesus, what? What kind of family reunion is that? What kind of name is that? Never heard of that. Got John, I know, you know, Jesus, what? You know, I mean, seriously, that, it's kind of a, they haven't heard of him. He's not doing anything and he's about to show up. And before he's done anything, John says, he's going to fill you with the spirit. Like that's one of the things he came to do. Now, if you're weird and when you read the Bible I'm weird when I read the Bible I, I just I, I see humor and I just always kind of imagine how things would go down and so this is true as funny as this is this is exactly how I imagined when I was younger the, the whole thing transpiring because you go to church you hear the stories about Jesus died Jesus rose again Jesus went to heaven and then the Holy Spirit shows up right and so I kind of imagine it goes like this Jesus gets back to heaven and he says hey dad I'm not sure we left things in a good place. I think we had a bit of a problem because, you know, this whole power of God thing, they kind of got used to it. Like they were used to showing up by the thousands to hear the voice of God. And they would show up and like expect me to do miracles. Like, man, they brought dead people. and So I just raised them up, you know, and then the sick people and I healed them. And, you know, they got a little used to it. And they don't know what to do down there right now. What are we going to do? And I imagine the father is kind of going, you know, holy, ain't doing much up here. It's got a little God crowded up here anyway. We'll just send them on down there. I tell you, it'll it'll be great. That'll just kind of keep some Godness going down. there. That's how I imagined it going. Like it was some kind of a fix the problem. Jesus did what he had to do. People are weirded out, kind of lonely, kind of something, and I was like, "All right, well, well, let's just we'll send the Holy Spirit till we get back." Before Jesus ever did one thing, it was already said of him: He is coming to pour out His Spirit on His believers. Here's what I want you to hear today, and this is so important. And we'll put it on screen for you because I want you to miss it. It is God's plan A. Plan A from the beginning. Not an afterthought, not a fix-it, not a band-aid. It is God's plan A to have his spirit dwell within his children. This is why Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away because when I go, the Holy Spirit's coming. How many of you would like to know what this advantage is? Anybody wants to know what this advantage is? So as I was looking, first of all, uh, that could be the whole series, and it is, in all honesty. So what I'm going to do today is really set us up for what we're going to talk about in the rest of the series. But if we were to take... This advantage that Jesus says we have because he's gone, right? When Jesus was in New York, he was not in LA. Now he was neither or neither, too, but you get the point. And now that he's gone, he can be everywhere inside of every one of us because his spirit's here. So, what do we get? If, if his spirit dwells in every one of us, what do we get? What are these things? And as I, I kind of just put them in, in some big umbrella things that'll kind of fill everything together. And, and if you come up with something better, then make sure you tell me before I preach this for the next service. But here are the three things I felt that the Holy Spirit gave me this week. the first one is we get life, we get life. You know, sometimes when we think about this, this whole Christian life, our understanding of it is, is that we're really bad humans. Or we're trying to be good humans either way. Then we meet Jesus and then we become Christians. And then there's this really long, hopefully decades long point of time until we die and go to heaven. And this period of time by which we call ourselves Christians waiting to go to heaven is somehow not very fulfilling way too often. Maybe because we spend all of those decades simply trying to, we believe, we behave, we go to church, rinse and repeat. And that's going to make anybody feel like they're missing out on something. But here's what Jesus said in John 7, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. Now, y- y'all gotta imagine, he cried out, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, if so far you're thinking, well that's a nice little metaphorical phrase that clarifies for us. This. He said, about the Spirit, capital S, the Spirit of God, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Now, here's the problem. When you and I read this, it just sounds like a cool thing. You're just, oh, rivers of living water. Yeah, that's neat. Definitely. I mean, metaphor might be the best word we can come up with. We might want to put it into a lyric, into like a worship song, listening, rivers of living water. You know, that kind of thing. We, we don't really comprehend. What was the importance of this phrase? I want to help us. See, it said at the end of the great feast on Great Day. This feast was called, (coughs) sorry, the feast was called the uh, um, Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And what they were doing at this point, they took a week. It was a seven day long feast where nobody lived in their homes because they wanted to remember a miracle that God had done for them when they were traveling from Egypt to the Promised Land and so at that point they would make little tents, so booths or, or little things that they would make them out of these palm trees and they would sleep in them and so if you could imagine for this week long festival no one's inside, everybody's doing their worship and everybody's all excited about the whole festival and everybody's sleeping outdoors under these little makeshift little leaf things that they've come up with, it would have looked like Woodstock if you were flying overhead, I mean that's just you ever seen those pictures? That, that's what this would look like, but yeah, so they were having this big, long festival, seven days, and it was on the last day, the great day. And and what would happen on that last day as they were celebrating what God had done in providing water is the priest, the high priest, only one guy, would get this golden pitcher, and and he would walk all the way down to the pool of Siloam, and and everybody would follow him, this this great procession, basically a, a, a whole nation, and he would fill it with water. And then he would walk back to the temple, and they would all follow him back to the temple. And what they were celebrating was when they traveled in the wilderness, they came through a desert, and they were going to die. Because they were in a desert, and there was no water. And so God told Moses to go and speak, and then water would come from a rock, and Moses kind of disobeyed and beat the rock, but with a stick. But the point is, water still came out. Water in a desert from a rock. And they had life. And so they did this festival once a year for two reasons because it was to remember what God had done in providing life in a place where there was no life. They also did it at this time of year. It was September, October, every time they would do it because they were celebrating the harvest. The harvest was done. And it was finished. And, and so God had sent rain. Again, this is the Middle East, and so you don't get a lot of rain. You need what little rain that you hope God's going to send. And God would send rain so they'd have crops, so they'd have a harvest, so they could live for the next year. And so they were celebrating the fact that there was water, which gave them life. And they were celebrating the fact that in the desert, God had given them water, which was life. And on this great day, the last day of the feast, and everybody's watching the priest, and he's doing this most ceremonial moment. Matter of fact, to actually be close enough and see the priest and watch this happen was like a, a bucket list thing for your life. Like, you wanted to say, man, I, I was there. I saw the golden picture. Like, you didn't want to be at the back of a million-person crowd. You wanted to say, I was, I was there. This was like a big deal to get to do this, right? And then in the midst of all of that, the most sacred ceremony Jesus shouts out, you thirsty? (laughs) Don't follow him. I mean, seriously, you got to understand the context. Like we think it's a cool statement. He could have gotten like beaten. Hey, y'all thirsty? Come on over here. I'll give you living water. And you can imagine somebody's getting excited. Living water? You mean I don't have to do this once a year and hope that God's going to show up like the God of rain and like, you know, bless me and like, oh, that's super cool. I'm coming over here. And then Jesus says, out of your heart will flow. And they're like, oh. What you doing making up this stuff, man, out of our heart? What is that all about? What it's all about is Jesus was trying to turn their eyes from what was physical and natural to what was spiritual. You see, what was natural is they needed rain from the heaven. What was natural is they needed their crops to have water. What was natural is that they needed to eat food. What was natural was when they walked in the desert, supernatural water came out and they had a natural life. It was a natural memory for them. They were just natural people with a natural focus. And Jesus says, what you really need is something in here that produces real life. Something in here that is way bigger than you worrying about your crops. And I can give you this. And when I give you this, it's going to produce life. A living water is going to produce life. When you t- talk about life, we're not just talking about the, the breathe and, you know, my brain and my heart keep doing it. No, he's talking about when we go and look in Scripture at all the things. This could take a whole series, so I'll just kind of hit a few of them. Hope. Hope is part of the life the Holy Spirit gives us. You know, matter of fact, when we lose our hope, many of us question life. Peace. When the Holy Spirit is in this, we have peace. We have uh, the presence of God with us. We, we, we feel like we're, you, you understand, are you guys getting, the, I mean, everything, co- this is the difference between I believed in Jesus, I'm dead and going to heaven, and the miserable decades in between is the, fa- it's not supposed to be miserable decades. It's not supposed to be boring. It is not supposed to be, what it, it is supposed to be filled with hope and hope. Peace, righteousness, being right with God, filling his presence, knowing that we're not alone. We're, there's something that's supposed to be alive within us. We're supposed to wake up on Monday morning and go, ah, oh, this is amazing. Instead of, oh, another day in this natural world with a natural boss, I can't stand. At least I'm going to heaven someday. Well, but I went to church yesterday where I behaved and believed. I'll just keep doing it. We're supposed to have life. And the second thing that we're supposed to get because it's to our advantage that Jesus goes away is power. Check this out. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater. Greater works than these will you do because I'm going to, greater? Jesus, you fed 5,000 people. Jesus, you raised dead people. You walked on water. And we're going to do better than that. I mean, seriously, how many of you would be excited next week if we took the front steps out completely and put in a wading pool? No, not for people that want to swim. Uh No, no. And, And you, in order to get into church, have to walk on it. You have to have, I mean, come on, that's like, we're supposed to power. But here's why we can do this. See, anybody remember the WWJD stuff, you know, from years ago, the what would Jesus do? And I remember people were making all these these cracks about it. You know, what would Jesus do? Who really cares? He was God. I'm just, I'm me. You know, that kind of thing. Well, the truth is, if that's how it goes down, then who cares what Jesus would do because he's God and we can't be that. But that's not how it went down. Because although, all right theology moment your brains may melt but don't worry I won't give you a test Jesus was fully God and fully man and so that he was fully man he could pay for our sins and because he was fully God he was able to live a perfect life therefore when he died his blood paid for you and me instead of himself did y'all know that if Jesus had sinned he could not have paid, paid for you and me he could have only paid for himself So the fact that he's fully man allows him to die and pay for the sins of man. The fact that he was fully God allows him to be perfect and holy and therefore not sin. Right? You guys with me? But how did he live in power? How did he have a connection with the Father? Scripture tells us that what Jesus did, he chose not to do out of his divinity. He chose not to do out of his being God. So basically, bad analogy, please forgive me, especially if a theologian is watching this online. He took his God power, put it in a little box, put a lid on it, and sat it over here and said, Now watch. The way that I live my life, the way that I talk to my Father, the way that I raise the dead, I will do as a man filled with the Spirit of God. Because what he was doing for you and me was modeling our lives. Stop and just think about what I just said. It was not an afterthought. He was modeling our lives. He was showing us what our life is supposed to look like before we were even born. He was showing us. That's why he said, you'll do greater things. You know how you'll do greater? Because when I did it, it was me in one spot. There are millions of my followers doing it all at the same time. Imagine all of you deciding not to fly across the ocean. You just walk. I mean, can y'all just really imagine? Hey, everybody, here we go. We're just going to like, walk across the lake today. Hey, I mean, imagine all of us at the exact same time raising somebody from the dead. I'd call that greater. That'd be pretty impressive, don't you think? Yeah. But we don't believe that. But it's what Jesus said. That's why he said, It's to your advantage that I go away. Greater things we will do. And the last one so we get life. We get power and we get connection. There's a connection with the Father that we'd never have. Matter of fact, this is what the Israelites really struggled with because the Holy Spirit had not yet been given to the followers of Jesus. And so all they knew was believe in the God of their scripture, behave, because it was full of rules, and go to the temple once a week and make sacrifices for all of the mistakes that you made over the last week. That's what they knew. And Jesus came to change that, but we still repeat it today. We're supposed to have a relationship, something that is so much deeper, where God is not far away, God is here. Galatians says, and because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the Spirit of His Son, another name for the Holy Spirit, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You may have heard this verse preached, and you may have heard someone talk about how the word Abba basically means daddy. And if that's all they told you, they, they probably did you a little bit of an injustice because it, it's not about saying daddy. The truth is, any one of you know how to say, say daddy, right? I mean, come on, everybody say it with me. Daddy. There you go. We can all say daddy. So if I'm standing out in the hallway, though, and you walk up to me at the end of the service and say, what's up, Daddy. I'm going to think the highlight of your life was the 70s or you're weird. Those are the two options. But there are four people that can walk up to me in this building and say, what's up, daddy? And I don't think they're weird. You see, what that means is because the spirit of his son dwells in us. It's not that there is a word, daddy. It's that you earn the place to use it. it means he's your daddy. Daddy. And you you earn the non weird right to wake up in the morning and go, What's up, daddy? And he doesn't think anything strange. Matter of fact, he loves it. And he comes near, not far. He's right here. We can feel his presence, we can hear his voice. We'll talk more about that in this series. We get a connection with him that we can't have if Jesus is just a historical figure. And God is just in heaven. But we're supposed to have something that's so much more. Now, I'm gonna ask a question, so I'm gonna warn you, because what happens when I preach and ask questions, only three people are like responding, because you're either daydreaming or something, or you think every question's rhetorical when a preacher talks. This is a real question for you How many of you want this advantage in your life? All right, and I wanna tell you, I'm gonna close with this. There are two things that could stand in our way of having that advantage in our lives, two things. One of them probably applies to every single one of us. And the second one applies only to some of us. The first one is our Western mindset. And they reminded me after the last service, I needed to clarify, I'm not talking West Coast. (laughs) I'm talking Western, high value on education, logical, math and science versus eastern philosophy that focuses more on spiritual things you see our problem is because we're in the west most every one of us has a western mentality because we were educated in the west we don't even realize we work off of that which is logical and explainable and we are taught early on if you can't reproduce it in a science classroom it's not real if you can't taste it touch it smell it hear it see it it's not real and so one of the favorite things I get to do every week is tell people uh, about their need for Jesus. And you know what? I can see people give their lives to Jesus because it is logical. It's natural. Follow what I mean by that. Every person in here, I can look at you and say, raise your hand if you're perfect. You've never had one angry thought, one mean thought. You've never had one lustful thought. You've never done one of the. You've never, you've just been perfect. You're as holy as God logically no one will raise their hand because logically we all know that we've we've done at least one if not a million in the last 10 minutes and logically i can explain to you that because god is worthy of our worship he is perfectly holy and so logically i can explain to you there is a big big gap if you want to have fellowship with him because holy does not fellowship with unholy and so logically you go i've got a problem And then logically, I can explain to you that a human body filled with God died on the cross so that he could be perfect and man and therefore pay for your sins and you can be forgiven. And logically, you can say, that makes sense. I want that. And then I can tell you that the logical result of that, according to scripture, is that you will be forgiven. God will see you as holy and you can spend eternity in heaven. And you say, I want that. Logically, I can preach the gospel and here in a Western mindset, I can help people believe in Jesus, but we don't get the next part because we don't get the idea that there's a God that we can't really connect with and touch and hear an audible voice and shake hands with and walk down the street with. That's why we want Jesus back because it'd just be so easy. He's natural. We're natural. And we have to admit, we actually have a natural rebellion towards the spiritual. We're we're just raised to to not believe in weird spiritual stuff and to even believe that there's much out there. And it, it takes a lot on our journey to get to that place. And so the first thing that we have to do as Western mindset people is we have to realize the Bible says God is spirit, not a spirit. Meaning he is, that's what he's made of. His very essence is the opposite of us. And if we want what he has for us, that's why he puts his spirit inside of us. But we're going to have to say, God, I need an awareness of your spirit because I naturally have an awareness to what I can touch and, and my hunger and what I can smell and what I can see and someone I can shake hands with. That's, that's where I go. So God, I'm going to need you to help me. The second thing that can stand in our way that applies to some of you, if you remember when we were reading that passage a minute ago, here's what it said. Out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. This he said about the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him would receive. Truest fact that I can tell you today, doesn't matter how many times you've been to church, If you have never said, Jesus, I give you my life, be my Lord and Savior, then His Spirit does not dwell in you. You cannot have the more that I've talked about today until you change that. The Spirit of God dwells in those who believe in Jesus Christ as the one true Lord and Savior. I'm going to pray for both groups. And if that's you and you would like to change that, we're going to take care of that in just a minute. Can I pray for you guys? God, we just come before you first and, and acknowledge to you that we, we've we been raised in a very natural world and we still think natural ways. Because of that, we, we don't think of you as we should. We don't interact with you as we should. And we just ask you right now, God, raise our awareness of you in our lives, of your spirit operating in us and through us and around us. And God, just open our spiritual eyes. And for those of you that have never made Jesus your king and you want his spirit to come and dwell inside of you, you want to know you're forgiven, you want eternity in heaven with him. I'm not gonna embarrass you. Just right where you're seated, I'm gonna lead you in a conversation. Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people, everybody. (laughs) Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources, where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.